Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Slip Disc Back Chat Podcast with Rainer Hirsch and Norman Lebrecht. I'm Rainer. My name's Rainer Hirsch. I am a comedian and conductor. And with me, I've got the wonderful Norman Lebrecht, whose website Slipdisc is. And we're going to talk about the interesting stories that caught our eye over the last week on Slipdisc. First up, one that hasn't actually appeared, we've got to talk about, which is what's happening with the Arts Council. And it's going to happen, actually, we're recording this on Thursday, the 3rd mm. of November. November, and in case we don't come back to it, uh, this is going to be the National Portfolio uh, of the Arts Council, which has been rescheduled from a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. It was suddenly put on hold by, well, probably the Treasury, uh, and um, while they recalculated the figures. Um, and this is basically, well, it's going to be who, get what, who gets what money in the current round well, who gets what cut? Right. It's, it's going to be a bloodbath. Everybody yeah. knows it's going to be a bloodbath. Um, it was postponed last time because we had a change of prime minister. I mean, mm. we have changes of prime minister all the time. I don't know why they have to interfere with the arts just because of that. Um, but clearly there is going to be a 10 to 15% cut across the board, and some are going to suffer more than others. Yep. And uh, there is an awful lot of jittery. If you listen very, very carefully... Mm. Um, Anywhere around a major arts centre, mm. you will hear teeth chattering. Well, there's a good reason. I mean, everybody's going to get... I mean, the eye-wateringly difficult decisions. It, is, it isn't really. Isn't I mean, it? right now, now you, can, you and I can do this on the back of an envelope. Well, right? what is okay. it? Okay, tell, right. me, okay. What, tell me what your first on. cut is. What, what's okay. the first thing that what's goes? What's the first cut? The, the two biggest uh, subsidy guzzlers in the country yeah. are the Royal Opera House and the South Bank Centre. They're both in London. 
and therefore resented by the, horribly by the rest of the country. Royal Opera House is getting a diminishing share of its revenue from the Arts Council anyway. It's sort mm. of gradually shrinking, and they'll probably lose another 10% tomorrow, and nobody will weep very much, because they'll make it up with oligarchs or whoever else is coming in. South Bank Centre is... is basically the sick man of the arts in this country. It's, it receives a vast amount of money, I think it was 18 million the last time I looked, for doing basically nothing, for reducing the amount of serious art, classical music and uh, live performance that it puts in there, and putting in all sorts of, you know, itsy bitsy trendsy um, which isn't drawing in the audience. So they're constantly in trouble. They've gone down to a four-day week. I mean... We're almost back to 1973 as far as the South Bank goes, and there isn't even a coal miners' strike. That's because there aren't any coal miners. Um, but I, I, what I can mm. say about the South Bank is, I have actually performed as a musician in all three of the musical venues. I think I deserve some sort of Boy Scout badge for that. Absolutely. And I have to say that <clears throat> when you work at the South Bank, it is rather work like, like working for the council anyway. I mean, you can't, you phone up people and they're on leave, they're not there. Or uh, you can't find yourself on their website. I will say that for you. One thing I, I would say, though, a slightly more um, uh, likely source of cutification is going to be E&O, rather than, rather than the Royal Opera House. And the, yeah, but let, let's, not, let's not leave the South Bank for a okay, while. Right, because like you, I've also got the badge. I've also performed on all three stages right. as a speaker. That's three, um, that, that, is a, that is a thing. That should, be a, that should be something that you can flaunt in your CV. Indeed. And uh, it's, um, it's, it's a wonderful place to be on stage. It's a very terrible place to be backstage because nothing works. Mm. Um, except unless you are a burglar. If you are a burglar, it is absolutely heaven. People have walked out of there with Steinway ground pianos. <laughs> and, and, and the few staff that you ever see around backstage are actually open the doors for them, which is very helpful. Yeah. Um, I mean, we joke about this. The, the South Bank, the Royal Festival Hall, was a miracle. Yet six years after the war, the people of London and the Council of London chipped in their old shillings and created a concert hall because that was going to be the priority. That's where the nation was going to go to celebrate the Festival of Britain. Mm. And it has a place in our hearts. Mm. And I don't know what's happened to our hearts, but it has fallen well out of them. And I, would say, I would say things don't work. I did a show in 2009 when I was actually locked out of my dressing room. Um, this is with the orchestra, with Alfred Brendel. I was backstage. I did this gig with Alfred Brendel. I am not worthy. I'm not worthy. And um, he he got the number one dressing you room. You were playing the piano. No, was I was conducting. Piano. I was conducting him, and I was conducting him in a show. Mm. And he was in dressing room number one because he was Alfred Brendel, and I, mm. I although it, I was, it was you my were the show. Conductor and you didn't get the green I, room. I, no, I didn't care about that because mm. he, you know. But the fact was, the the mechanism didn't work on my door I couldn't get into my room and I had to sleep on the kind of the couch or do my pre-show sleep in the kind of uh, in the artist's restaurant thing so but yeah things break down it's it is the acoustic is famously rubbish and all the rest but I still say that um, it has uh, it has a place it is it's a place to perform mm. it's people if you, perform, if you perform there people know you're on and it attracts attention They've attracted. They've had so many different audiences or so many different shows over the years that you know you do something like I do, comedy and music, and then you you attract attention. And it has an aura. Yes. The hall has an aura. It does. You have a sense. I mean, I've been going there since I was a kid. I saw Klemper there for heaven's right. sake. Yeah. Um, I saw people there. Stravinsky. Nobody, nobody ever remembers. No. Yes. Um, but 
Um, and, and somehow the hall is an agglomeration of all of those great spirits that have ever passed through it. But yeah. you, go, you go on the website and search classical music, symphony, concert, whatever, you won't find it. No, it's difficult. It's impossible. Can Look, I tell my Alfred Brendel story? I have got an Alfred Brendel story as well. It's related to that concert. Oh, he, he didn't play. He recited poetry. I, um, I'll, I'll just receive... He had to put it very clearly on the advertising, the Alfred Brendel poet. But let me return to Ian O. While he was playing? Or No, no. I improvised with the Philharmonia behind him while mm -hmm. he did some of his crazy poems. Uh, mm -hmm. Which, you know, it, I was so glad he was there. The mm -hmm. poems, difficult to kind of appreciate a little bit. Mm. Uh, I, I enigmatic. Enigmatic, that's it, yeah. And I sent him a, um, a thank you. He had to, he, he needed some expenses, which is very reasonable. We did this thing for Comet Relief. And I sent him some expenses. And I enclosed in the expenses a poem in the style of his poems. Which um, he, anyway, I sent it off to him, forgot all about it. I had actually been phoned up by him about three weeks before the concert to ask what he want, what he wanted, what I wanted him to do, and explained to him. So I put his number in my phone. So I said, oh, "I've got Alfred Brendel's number in my phone." So the, the phone rang about I don't know two months later, and it, Alfred Brendel. I, I was so I almost dropped the phone, and he said, "I would like to thank you for the poem, which uh, shows a degree of artistic merit." And I almost said, "You know, well, yeah, so do yours." Um, but I didn't. <laughs> they, anyway, listen, I was, he, he's, a, he's a great, great man, and I don't want that to say, you know, if, if I have performances on the radio of something really, I really like pianistically, mm. it's always him doing it. I mean, I, anyway, he's such a great number. Can I tell my Alfred Brindle Yeah, go on, I got All right, so I've written a piece, a um, fairly flippant piece, saying pianists fall into two categories, uh, fruitcakes and eggheads. Fruit, cake, fruit cakes and eggheads. Okay. Right? The ones that are completely barking, right. and the others who are obviously elevated intellectuals. So I'm, I'm saying fruitcakes are Den Gould. Yeah. Oh yes. He's the fruitcake part. He's the fruitcake fruit, fruitiest fruitcake. The fruitiest yeah. there is. Yes. And then there's Alfred Brunel, who is right and up there with the intellectuals. So you would think. Right. About a week later, I find myself opposite him at dinner. Right. And he is glaring at me. Why is, my wife is going, why is Alfred Brendel glaring at you? I don't know, what did I do? He said, you wrote that there are two types of pianist. The <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it. I'm not, this isn't my version of Alfred Brendel. Is it the, the, like the fruitcake and the egghead. You called me an egghead. Well, I am actually a fruitcake. <laughs> Well, he's a he's a great bloke. Uh, Have a put, slice of him anytime. He put he put up with me, and I've had some I've had other encounters with him, which is you know an amazing thing to do. Can I get back to E and O? Right. So yes. you're you're putting up the South Bank Centre. I know you actually. I don't think the E and O English National Opera holds a great place in your heart. I mean, judging by some of the things that appeared over the last week, but I would say, uh, as com uh, compared to the Royal Opera House, who let me ask you this: Who needs opera in English? Honestly, even if, forget the fact that they actually make most of their money by presenting musicals and stuff like that. Who needs opera in English? I cannot understand opera when it's being sung, in whatever language it's being sung in. No. So the point of presenting it in, in English, I mean, you need, you need subtitles when you do any opera in any language. Do you know, it reminds me of that, you know, there's people, um, and uh, 
all 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 good blessings mm. or whatever on people who are speaking English as a foreign language because they've made an effort and so on. But I mean, I I speak German and you know I speak a few other languages as well. So I know I hope I've joined those people in their struggle and I hope I you know I can made, we do the rest of the podcast in German? We could the rest of our Sendung auf Deutsch machen. We could do that. So listen, um, what I was going to say before I insult people speaking English as a foreign language, opera in. Any language reminds me of people who have struggled to learn the language but still speak it so badly they have to be subtitled when they appear on TV. And I think, well, did you, I mean, if they knew that, maybe they wouldn't have bothered. But I think, here's the thing, you know, mm. bearing train spotting was subtitled to the American audience. So we speak English, English not well enough to be understood by Americans. So, you know, that's, is that hoist by but, my I own mean, is, I'm not sure. Not at all. No, no, you've touched on the supreme irony of the case. Here is English National Opera. Nobody can understand a word of what's being sung there because the stage is very deep. And unless the singers are really quite close to the, to, to the apron and articulate extremely well, mm. you don't know what they're doing. It is a very, it's a huge space, you know, it's a huge mm. space. I mean, you go up to the gods there, you've got vertigo mm. up there. I and mean, that's true of all, you know, all the, you know, if you go up to the gods at uh, the Royal Opera House too, which is the only place I ever see a comp, uh, an opera there because I'm too poor to sit anywhere else. That's a request, by the way, if anybody feels inclined to send me tickets for whatever Don't it is. Don't send him tickets, take him to the opera. <laughs> Addresses follow at the end of the podcast. So, um... He, I would just he say... Doesn't, he doesn't applaud individual arias. <laughs> He's very well brought up. Yeah, I would say the, the, pro, the, thing, the basic thing is that there are, going, there are going to be some big cuts in this uh, round. Mm. Um, and uh, I think you know, some of those great holy cows are going to suffer rather rudely. So there's going to be some unpleasant news about you know, one of the orchestras, mm. maybe... Uh, and maybe something like ENO. Perhaps if they cared about the arts, uh, the Arts Council will, will make better choices, but they don't seem to. Do they spend a million pounds bringing a, a mechanical elephant to London? Who? Uh, the Arts Council. They did? They did, yes. It's their... about, it was about 18 years ago. Really? Yes, yes. And it sort of clonked through the streets, and did everybody it shit thought on the it was a great, uh, well, mechanically, <laughs> a great artistic triumph. But I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. It, it it's is, an impossible. It, it's it's it an is absolute mindset. horrendous bureaucracy. It seems. To, it seems to a lot of people to have lost. Uh, to you know, people it, uh, getting money off them mm. is an absolute art form in itself. If you're part of an appointment with your GP, uh, that. But you know, with a lot more forms. Anyway, my my. It's a big thing. Mm. Let's watch this space. We want to come back and review this. Who has got the chop? And it's going to be interesting reading, I think. If I can be serious for yeah. just a nanosecond, mm -hmm. um, the Arts Council was set up. It was a vision of Maynard Keynes in 1945 mm. uh, to nurture the grassroots, um, to stimulate both the arts and the economy by tapping into the nation's creativity and to start small and, and, and just see where it all went. The first orchestra to get a grant was London Symphony Orchestra. Their annual grant was £2,000. And right. they, did, they did terribly well on it. Yeah. Um, and now they get £2 million pounds yeah. and it's not enough. Mm. And we haven't had 1,000 times inflation since mm. 1948. Mm. So something's gone wrong with the whole economy of funding, but in the midst of it, the Arts Council has just lost much of its credibility by simply refusing to make the difficult decisions. Difficult decision needed to be made about English National Opera 20 years ago, they fudged it. Mm. But 
a difficult decision needed to be made about the arts. The, the South Bank, 30 years ago, fudge it again. Mm. They, they haven't actually taken the axe to any major company since Kent Opera, and that's, what, 50 years ago? Mm. So they've gone 50 years without making a proper decision. Right. Tomorrow, they're supposed to be making decisions. Right. Watch this space. Right, well, let's come, we need to come back to that, for sure. But we have a story today of the Russian conductor, Vladimir Spivakov. Oh, yeah. Who said in an interview on French radio, I had to read on slip disc that I was fired. J'ai pris on slip de disque. Ouais. Que je suis. Que j'ai, 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 j'ai perdu. Je suis jeté. Ouais. <laughs> j'ai perdu mon, yeah. mon travail. Yes, in a Russian accent, yes. Yes, I will do it. Uh, j'ai perdu. Ouais. I can't read that. Anyway, yeah. On like... m'a dit rien. <laughs> um, that's, that's power. Which... Well, I don't know if it's power. I think it's commercial opportunity. I think we should be offering space on slip disks to people who want to fire conductors. Yeah, Obviously, not conductors who are also comedians because they, <laughs> they can get their own back. It's such a limited, it's such a limited pool. I mean, you, you could fire the entire, you know, gene pool with one phone call. Um, so, yeah, okay, but that is great. I love that story, and you might like it too. You must like it too, surely. I do like it. Yeah. I do. I send my respects to Mr. Spivakov. Yeah. He was fired because he was Russian, not because he wasn't any good. Yeah. So that is, okay, I've got, I've, I've, so I've got, this is my, this is my, um, I've got a sound effect. That's my Arts Council sound effect. That is, that is what's going to happen, I think. That has the sound of one hand. One hand. Yes, exactly. Mm. Um, and let me also extend that, that. I'll do it again. This is my sound effect for... This is my sound effect for the Fairfield Halls in Croydon. Mm. That's one hand patting itself on the back. So th- the story was, basically, mm. that um, it is the, the uh, Fairfield Halls... In Croydon, which is one, you know, it's a it's it's a it's a nice venue. It just hasn't been redone mm. since the since the Ark, really. I've actually done gigs there as well, and the backstage area is like a kind of it's it's got four mica tables. I mean, it's like you get put in this kind of green room, which looks like it, it it's ready for you t- preparing for you know the three the sea streams math class it's not it's not a nice place to be but they have they have been been run for the last while by a, a management company um, which normally runs uh, leisure centers and swimming pools but they've been running uh, the Fairfield halls in in Croydon and uh, basically <laughs> everybody seems to be jumping ship from this place mm. i mean what's your what's your take on that have you do you know the fairfield halls have you been there oh yes it's one of my favorite halls it's a it's a really really nice hall to go to to hear a concert yeah um it is also you can also you get there by tram how many <laughs> concert halls in the world can you go to by tram there's a Concertgebouw in amsterdam and there's fairfield's halls in croydon so we to- are saying we you know Croydon is right up there with the Concertgebouw. You didn't have a senior flashback then. You can actually get it, get there by tram. Yes. From where? (laughs) From the other end of Croydon. (laughs) It's not exactly useful, (laughs) is it? You're already in Croydon. They they have trams in Croydon. Take this from me on trust. I haven't been there since before COVID. I hope the trams are still running. Yes, yes, we're we're getting getting confirmation there. Even as we speak, confirmation. The trams are running in Croydon. So Croydon is is the Concertgebouw of South London. Right, Okay. And it has been going through an absolute nightmare because they decided to redo it because it was, as you say, uh, for Micah Heaven. And... um, 
and they brought in people to run it. BH Live, you might as well say, because you mentioned it on the website, BH Live and its non-operating Fairfield Hall. Their chief executor and two other senior figures have left the company. Mm. And that was, and I mean, they seem to be, they've obviously, mm. they, maybe you have, you have sacked them through slip disk. No, no, not at all. No, no. These were people who were brought in to remedy the, the many faults and indeed financial disasters of their predecessors. They came from Bournemouth. And uh, they actually had some experience in running concerts in Bournemouth. Right. And they thought, well, we'll come up to London. It can only be like Bournemouth, only bigger. But they walked into Fairfield's old Croydon and they found a great big black hole. And that was just the finances mm. um, and the rest of it. Yeah, it's not running. It's a great shame. Well, uh, the, the, the council needs to get a grip. I, th- I think the that, council, that may be one of the problems. The council may be getting too too much involved with it. I mm. don't don't know the ins and outs of it. But that the fact that it's run, you know, the council can't. People, councillors, what do they know? What? I mean, they should leave it to people who actually know, and they, perhaps they don't. It, that, do you think we should take put slip disc advertising hoardings on the trams? <laughs> I think it would cheer you up. I think so. You could, you, know, you could be reminded of your own success. They do. They could, have. They have a fantastic journalistic website in Croydon. I think it's called Inside Croydon. Yeah. And they've been doing really good investigative reporting on this story, and nobody else has touched it apart. The, the other report, the reporter reporting on this story was, was was must be a pseudonym. I'm guessing because it was Bella Bartok, and that is a name that has gone out of fashion. Oh. Their programme mm. is, their programme at the Fairfield Hall, by the way, is pretty damn random. I looked on it. Mm. Um, uh, the, the most interesting thing I found... But it has the London Mortar players. No, not... Uh, not anymore? No, but they're, they're, not, they're not, they're not listed there, so mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe they... But 3rd of February, just in case you're free then, to go take a tram mm. ride surrounded by slip disc advertising, <laughs> it's the sing-along a dirty dancing... <laughs> Now, I didn't know that that was even a musical that you could sing along to, but, you know, who knows that well enough that you could sing along to it? If it was any day other than the 3rd of February, which happens to be a publication of my next book, Why Beethoven, okay. I would run there. And, and, in fact, I would run there with the whole of our slip disc team, uh, right. podcast team. And we'd go sing there along. and we'd do sing along. Sing do, along a dirty dance. When, when is your birthday? Because I'm, gonna, I'm planning a ticket, <laughs> a surprise ticket. <laughs> That'll be next July. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Let me, let me just expand that to a slightly bigger subject, which is concert halls in London generally. Because, I mean, that Fairfield Halls is on the circuit of larger concerts because it mm. is a nice place. It is a nice... Forget the Formica mm. and the slightly run-down 50s feel of the whole place. It is actually a great place to pl- play. And the greats have done that, you know, backstage, on, you know, in the um, Porter's, whatever it is, Lodge thing, there's... There's loads of signed pictures. Great, mm. and it's a thing that I've perused many a time. Malcolm Sargent himself conducted there. Yeah, mm. you know, probably Rachmaninoff played there. Was it around? Was it around then? <laughs> no, I don't think so. So the consoles of London are obviously got the South Bank. We discussed that. The Barbican, mm. which nobody can find their way to or from, although mm. our producers for this podcast have do claim to have made a successful journey. I think they must have. You know, had a laid a trail of, um, you know, offers for the BBC commissioning editor to and from that. 
and then the Albert Hall. Southbank, I mean, the, the Southbank we're talking about, the Festival mm. Hall, um, famously dry, it's got, a, it's got a lot of history too. Bar Barbican, also a bit of a problematic acoustic because it's not shaped in the way that a concert hall should be. Mm. The Albert Hall is, oh, you know, that we, we met doing the podcast about the, about the proms. Proms is a great event and it's stuck in the Albert Hall and the Albert Hall is the proms, no question about it. But as a venue, it's pretty terrible. I've always said that, I've no, hit, hit my. It's the wrong shape, the audience is too big, concerts just... Get, you look, you're, you feel like you're watching them or listening to them through sort of cotton wool. Only the biggest things cut through that huge, huge space. And there's also Kandugan Hall, you know, which I suppose is is out mm. there. You know, don't knock it. I'm doing a gig there on, on April the first, by the way. Not Very one, nice yeah, yeah, acoustic. Yeah, a nice acoustic. In that mm. it's but it's it's small. It's one thousand seats compared to the others, which are basically two thousand kind of seats. Mm. So unfortunately, I don't have a book coming out on April the first. I better be there. <laughs> <laughs> no excuse. So, but I mean, there has always been talk about trying to increase our resource base. For concert halls, you know, Simon Rattle's plan, mm. LSO, New Bempathy, and that was, you know, I, I, I do remember you not being massively in favour of that when that was floated. What do you think about that now? Do you, is that, is that, that was an idea that is never going to happen, or do you it's think it's never going to happen? It was. There were there were three very good reasons why it was never going to happen. Right. Um, firstly, they commissioned a a study which said it was going to cost two hundred million pounds. Since you always double the amount. It would have been half a billion. And where was that money going to come from? Um, secondly, it's in London. The rest of the country would have been in uproar mm. if London had built itself another concert hall when, oh God, when was the Leeds. last time Leeds had a new one? Yeah, I was going to say Leeds. Oh, and, and thirdly, they were going to build it just across the road from where the Barbican is at the moment, which it was just a crackpot idea. If you're going to build a new concert hall in London, build it where people live. Mm. Um, the area around the Olympic um, Stadium. Hmm. Um, there are all sorts of new cultural ventures that are springing up there. That would be the place to put a new concert hall. There are young couples living there, the hmm. possibility, as they did in Paris with the Philharmonie de Paris, hmm. which is at the end of one of the metro lines, the pink one, I think. It's surrounded by two, three bedroom flats for young couples, and those are the people who go there. That's what we need a concert hall for. We don't want, need one dug into the ground in the middle of the city of London, yeah. which empties out at about 6.30 as the traders decant into the pubs. Well, it's an idea that has anyway kind of gone west. Yeah. We don't hear any more talk about that. I have actually got, I've got a sound cue. Brahms has simply been played under a thunderstorm, which reminds me what was what occurred to me when I read the story, <laughs> which is it's sort of it's it, it's funny but not funny. It's about it's uh, the Sinfonietta of Shizuoka mm -hmm. in Shizuoka Prefecture in Japan. The orchestra is based in Yaitsu, which is about eighty-five kilometers away from uh, Susuno, which they were doing uh, the concert in. And they were getting ready to, they were just in the preamble to doing the show, and the sprinklers went off, r raining down on their instruments, including a Steinway piano, certainly trashing. $88,000, one piano. Hmm? Where are they getting their pianos from? Because that's cheap. 
<laughs> it is really cheap. A concert piano is way more than that. I don't know. Yeah, and you've got to ship it to Shitsuoko. Absolutely. Mm. Maybe mm. it's a maybe it's a knockoff. <laughs> I wonder how they spell, I wonder how they spell Steinway. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe when the sprinklers came down, the lettering sort of came off. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, this, I, I have to say, so in, 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 in your article about it, it was, you know, basically the sprinkler went off and it sprayed the stage of water when all the instruments, the guys, are, and it is pretty serious rain we're talking about. And it's a hundred... I mean, picture inch- the scene. It's half an hour before a concert and musicians are just gathering around backstage yeah. and having the last fag. Yeah. And somebody says, shit, so <laughs> It's raining. It can't be raining in Shitsuoka. Shitsuoka. Oh, no, that's where we are. Shitsuoka. Yes, that's where we are. No, the no. Shitsuoka. The... I read because it was, it was associated with, a, um, there was a, a link to a newspaper which reported on it and said 100 instruments were damaged. Well, they've got to be mostly percussion instruments because basically string players, apart from bassists, mm. do not leave their instruments around on stage to be rained on. Unless they're doing a bit of, they're warming up. And apparently some of the musicians were hurt as they scrambled either on or off stage, either to save themselves their instrument or to get back on stage to save their instrument, so brass players. So, and you know, they're slipping around on this highly polished surface. And I, you Some know, of them actually climbed into a double bass <laughs> and were rowing their way out. Um, so all these instruments were damaged, apart from the violas, of course, where uh, the rain caused over 13 million yens worth of improvements. So, <laughs> sorry, I am a viola player. I do play there. I play viola. Now, the, the, the final one I wanted to, I've got, you've probably got some, well, actually, I've got a couple, I've got a couple more. One is, um, let me just see if I can play this one for you and see whether you can recognise what this, what I'm, to, which article I'm referring to. Here we go. Yeah, now that is my tribute to a found Stradivarius mm. called the Lauterbach mm. Stradivarius, mm. which was an article uh, mm. a few days ago, which is uh, one of those famous instruments that, you know, that went awry, went for a walk owing to the Nazis um, and has recently been identified uh, in France by a contributor to Slip Disc, is that right? Terribly nice lady called Pascal Bjornheim. Right. Mm. Tell me about her. Um, she used to run a festival in... It's called Sant, in a cathedral town in France, which is where I know her from, but she's now a, she's now a researcher right. for um, restituting lost, lost art objects. And what happened with this particular violin, the... Lauterbach Stradivarius. It wasn't called Lauterbach in 1719 when Stradivarius knocked it out of the workshop. Um, In 1939, the owner unfortunately died and his family, seeing what else was going on around them in Warsaw, took it to the National Museum for safekeeping. And they had a sort of an area of the museum where they... They buried things, and uh, the same way as we did in the National Gallery, we took the National Gallery down to Wales and... and um, in a cave. In a cave. And, Put it in yeah, a mine I'm shaft. not sure they've ever taken everything out. But <laughs> <laughs> well, to well, going to Wales on holiday, doesn't it? Um, and um, 
when the tides turned in the war and the Germans decided this was a good time to get out of Warsaw early in 1944, they said, we're not going to leave without the Stradivarius and anything else we can find in, in the National Museum. So they, they ransacked the museum and they grabbed a whole load of things, including this Stradivarius. Mm. And um, it, there were traces of it around about 1948, but really it's never been seen since. Mm. So Pascal has done the most amazing work in finding it. Um, the next problem is going to be restoring it and then finding the rightful owner because it could run through the courts for a few years. Yeah, these things get, I mean, mm. obviously the original owners. But what I, what I did note was your friend who wrote that article works for, this is the French Department of Musique et Spoliation, which mm. I love that, Spoliations which is French for plunder, mm. plunder. <laughs> and I'm, I'm doing that mm. my fresh best. But the, other, the final thing I've got, which I was attracted by, uh, Opera North's new thing, which is, and Opera North, by the way, they seem to me, as a passive southerner, they seem to be up there and doing stuff, which mm. is interesting. And I would, you know, I, I actually looked up where the next performances of this thing are. And that is Monteverdi's Orpheus meets Indian classical musicians, and they've combined the two. In fact, if you can't be bothered to go to the two remaining concerts, which I would say now are the Theatre Royal in Nottingham on the 12th of November, and the Lowry in Salford on the 19th of November, and by the way, should you want anything punted, you know, please let Norman know when we will consider that. <laughs> You'll consider your claim in return for, I don't know, who knows what we want for that, but just your mention. Well, just announce the firing of your conductor. Yeah, that's how we can we'd announce the firing if you want to get rid of. <laughs> if you give us the chance to that, you can have any punt you want. But in it, it's, it's Monteverdi, Orpheus, you know, going down to the underworld, all that jazz, and the wedding, and um, all that story. But and done you with... can see it free for about seven days on slip disc if you can't manage to make it up to Nottingham. Yeah. You can mm. because there's, there's a, a rail strike. Exactly, it's a very, it's a beautiful actually, uh, it's a beautiful recording, mm. in fact, and it's and it, it just struck me that those kind of crossover things have been, uh, they they're they're very interesting actually. But I was just musing over. I used to have a recording of a Chinese woman singing the trout, which is a song by Schubert, Die Forelle. And I found that actually, when I was hunting around for this on the web, I found that actually Chinese people seeing Schubert's The Trout, Die Forelle, which is a leader, lead mm. by, by Schubert, is a thing in China. Mm. Everybody's doing it. Here's, here, this is one, one of the ones. I couldn't find the original one that I had, but this is another one. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ten recordings I came across on the web, including choirs doing it. Chinese people respond to that story and to that song. And obviously, what's a bit odd, it, the thing about it is, it, you know, in the German, it kind of rhymes. It's a, you know, and it obviously doesn't rhyme in the Chinese. But it's, to our ears, it sounds a bit odd. But it's something that they really respond to. The other thing, by the way, which I thought oh, I found thank you very much was it. Uh... I'll be interested to know what, if you translated the words back, <laughs> maybe via through, through the German, what it would end up back. I've often thought in the you... early days, in the early days of computer translation, yes, um, when they still believed it was impossible to translate from one language to another, yeah. they fed into a computer in Jerusalem the English phrase, um, out of sight, out of mind. They said to the computer, translate it into Russian and then feed it back. Right. It came back as invisible idiot. <laughs> another thing I came across was steel bands doing Mozart. I actually went a while ago, I think to see, uh, in, in London, it must have been 10 years ago or more, and perhaps somebody can to remind us what it was I saw, but I think it was the magic flute, done entirely on steel pans from memory, because a lot of them are not readers, mm -hmm. but with singing the whole thing and doing the Queen of the Night and everything. And, and this is a steel band doing, well, you'll hear what it is they're doing here. So. <laughs> So what are you going to be doing this next week? What's your plan? Have you got, anywhere, have you got any concerts you're going to go to? Anything? Do you go to concerts anymore? Oh, I did Mahler 8 on Sunday. I did uh, the event quartet on Tuesday. Yes, yeah. all over the place. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going next week. We'll see. I shall be aleatory about it. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a birthday on, on Monday. So I'm doing a gig, actually, to take the numb the pain. of the. Uh, it's, it's a private gig and uh, I'm going to go out with the players afterwards so that's what I'll, I'll, I'll return a year older when I see you again next week so mm. Norman thanks very much anything, I mean, is there anything you, you wanted to talk about by the way is it too late to ask Alfred Brendel to play with your orchestra on Monday well until next week this is uh, me Rainer Hirsch and, and this is me Norman Lebrecht if you're listening to this podcast, you found it on Slip Disc, you can comment, say what you think about it, tell us, join in, tell us a joke, we like jokes. Don't forget, we're available through all the usual outlets, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, and please subscribe, leave us some feedback, we want feedback, good and bad, because then we'll have something to get our teeth into next week. If we didn't make you laugh, we failed. <laughs>